your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Good snap to him. Hangs one up. This is a pretty good kick. Spielman drifting over. Makes a backpedaling catch of the 25. Eludes attacker. He's got some room. 25, 30, 35, 40. Cutting back to the midfield. He's down the near sideline of the 40. 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, J.D. Spielman from 75 yards. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. That's right. No Greg Sharp tonight. He is uh, out of here for the evening. Stuck with Nate myself. For the good news is, for those that preferred if we didn't host, only get two hours of us. You got to survive us for two hours. JB and John Cook with a Sarder Heyman Nebraska volleyball hour for one hour. So you at least get a one hour break from us tonight. JB and JC. That's right. J.C. the talker. In the house. J.C. the builder. <laughs> yeah. In the house tonight from 7 to 8, taking your calls. The thing I love most about week one to week two is we don't have to wait however many months for another game. No. It's it's like, okay, it's already Tuesday, and we got to start gearing up for another one here on Saturday. And as it turns out, it's not that hard to do because it's Colorado. Uh, in case you needed any anything more to get your uh, get yourself up, or uh, I'm not going to borrow Garrett Nelson's turn of phrase from yesterday, yesterday, but it's CU week. Like, and lest you think, oh, this is just going to be a nice, tepid little non-con. We visit, they visit us, we visit them. Between Jacob Collier's little incident last year. And the rhetoric coming out of both camps. And, you know, Mel Tucker's, well, what has Nebraska done lately? Look, they still don't like Nebraska. And if we're being very honest, we don't like them either. So this is going to be fun. It's going to be it's going to be a week where you need your big boy pants a little bit because it is Colorado and those people are not friendly. But it's a fun week. This is you would rather have this than rummy tech that you don't care about. Absolutely. Well, we do have a lot to get into tonight. Uh, practice report. Nate was over at practice today. Defense day, as will always be the case on Tuesdays. Defensive coordinator Eric Shenander and, among others, meeting with members of the media following the practice this morning. We'll have our practice report coming up here this hour as well. As we mentioned Nebraska Volleyball Radio Hour from 7 to 8 o'clock. Head Coach John Cook taking your calls, your questions and comments between 7 and 8 o'clock. Top 10 Tuesday coming your way tonight. Also, Michael Brunts, 24-7 Sports, will stop by. Of course, taking your calls tonight, 866-HUSKER-1, the number 866-487-5371. The number to get into the program tonight, that's our Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference Purchase with confidence, this is Woodhouse. Well, Nate, this is uh, your first time to uh, address the people of the state following the first game, and a lot of the the other shows around the state did not have a show yesterday. We did, so Greg and I kind of got our thoughts out there. Uh, You've had a chance to kind of dissect everything that you saw, maybe watch part of the game again. You heard uh, Coach Frost talk after the game. You heard him talk at the presser. You even heard – uh, you were over at practice today and heard all the, the practice sound. How are you feeling now on a Tuesday after the after the season opener? 
I'm willing to chalk up the choppy day for the offense up to a couple of things. First off, it sounded like the week of practice was not the sharpest. Uh, it sounded as if uh, integrating Cam Jurgens back onto this offensive line on a full-time basis, while he might be your best center at the same time, uh, there was some work to try and get him back locked in. And let's face it, Cam did not have a very good game in terms of snapping the ball. We saw it all game. Adrian Martinez was having to 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 reach out and snare balls that were were errant. Uh, so I I would chalk it up to a bad day for the offensive line. I, I'm happy with what I saw defensively. I mean the defense was put in some bad spots with the turnovers, and you think of the fumbled punt, for instance, and all the snaps they had to play consecutively in the third quarter. I mean, I felt really good about what we saw from the defense in this game and the fact that they were a little more aggressive. They were even able to get something out of a defensive back blitz. I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time we, we were able to bring a DB that actually came in and not just hit the quarterback – and not just sacked the quarterback, but caused a fumble and eventually Twice. a turnover. And they got two of them, yeah. So defensively, I am encouraged. You know, special teams was a mixed bag. I'm willing to chalk up what we saw when Nebraska had the football to a bad day. But that's going to need to swing against Colorado. I think that's pretty average defense. Colorado State was able to put up 31 points against them. Uh, so I, I feel like this offense can get well and you hope a better week of practice, a little more continuity on the offensive line and, and just sort of regression to the mean because I think the O-line didn't have their best game and whether it was caused by the O-line struggles or the errant snaps, seemed like Adrian Martinez was a little off too. So hopefully – little better game from the O-line, a little better game from the quarterback, and the offense can play at a level that more closely resembles what we thought we were getting this year. Yeah, I don't know that it's that it's even debatable that Adrian had his worst day as a Husker, and there are a lot of reasons why Saturday happened the way that it did. It's not just one thing. It's not just one person. It's not just one scheme. It's it, There are a lot of different things. The bad practice – week that they had bad snaps um, lack of cohesion up front quarterback had the jitters uh, was not comfortable in the pocket I think uh, not finding open receivers there were certain plays where receivers weren't open uh, but you know there were a lot of Nebraska was awful on first down mm -hmm. you know maybe as coach Frost said feeling themselves a little bit you know knowing that you're a five touchdown favorite and you know, you've got a little number next to your name for the first time in a long time, probably feeling kind of sweet. You know, I think all there are a lot of factors of why we saw what we saw on Saturday, specifically on the offense. Yeah, and you think of all the youth on that offense, and, and you're talking about a sophomore and a redshirt freshman starting at left guard and, and center. And even though, you know, you had a quarterback that started all last year, he's only a sophomore, and your running back is new, and the wide receivers have been shuffled around. So uh, there, there's even though you feel like there are cornerstones there from which to build on that offense – 
with Martinez, with the two tackles back, Farniak and Brendan Hymas, with Jack Stoll, there's still a lot that needs to be built up and, and that we need to see. I mean, I don't know that we got a good look at what Diedrich Mills can do. I mean, he it, it felt like he didn't have much running room all game, and, and, and you hate to put it on one position group, but you feel like, you know, we always hear the game starts in the trenches, and you felt like that was a battle Nebraska lost somewhat surprisingly Saturday. No matter what your take on the game, we can all hope that this isn't the start of a trend, mm. and this was just a slice of humble pie for the team. And you, and you, the hope is for every Husker fan that they start to take things more seriously, and and they come with their lunch pail on Saturday, and they use this as a learning experience for the positive. Um, because the bottom line is, and I've said this a few times already on this show and on other shows, that Nebraska did something on Saturday that took seven tries to do last year, and that's won a football game. So you're 1-0, learn the lessons you need to learn, take the criticisms from your coach, and, and you hopefully you improve and you can show up in Boulder with a, with a confident um, product on the field and, and go hopefully take care of business. There is one piece of news that came down today, and it is regards to Maurice Washington. And I know this was a, a very hot topic on Saturday, starting with our halftime interview with, with Scott Frost, uh, head coach about that, saying that, that he will play in the second half. He was asked about it right away at the press conference, basically said, until this situation is adjudicated in California, I won't have any further comment, nor will Maurice face any further in-game punishments outside of the internal punishments that that he was facing and the the court date or the the meeting date was today and they have pushed it back once again and now the preliminary examination setting date is set to take place now for another for another month uh <laughs> on the 17th of october is when they'll meet next um and and hopefully during that time, they'll set a date, another date, to go over the evidence of the case, uh, both the prosecution and defense, go over the, the details of the case, go over the, the details, and then um, on a date, the judges will decide if they're going to look into this matter further. So basically what we learned today was nothing happened today. <laughs> um, they, they delayed, they made another date for another time to make another date. And this thing is continuing to be drug on forever. But that, that is, if you're looking for the information, that is the information that we were given today. Yeah, it's frustrating. At some point, this needs to be tried out. At some point, this needs to go through the court of law. And we need to determine, was Maurice, did Maurice Washington do this or not? And at what level should he be punished criminally first i mean that's i i understand the wheels of justice tend to turn slowly but this just feels like it's getting kicked farther and farther down the road to where uh, it, it feels like it's getting drug out for no good reason and as far as we know uh we're we won't hear any more of it from the husker coaches other than you know the internal discipline that he faces and uh, based on what Coach Frost said, I'm expecting Maurice Washington to, to run out there on Saturday until there's an answer to this 
this this charge, the acquisition, uh, I can't I can't say anything is going to change. And people are going to have their opinions on it. People are going to be feel very strongly about it. I don't think any opinion you have on it is wrong. Uh, I've heard every argument there is to have on this, um, both for and against Nebraska's decision. Uh, I, I understand very clearly, you know, the line is drawn in the sand and most people are on one side and, and the rest, uh, one, some people are on one side, some people are on the other side. And if you're on one side, you're going to try and get the other side to, to change their minds. <laughs> and what's going to happen is the line in the sand, people are going to dig their feet further in, into the sand. And, and the situation at this point, Nate, it is what it is. The coaches, have made, the co- not just the coaches, the university has made a decision and and we're just going to have to live with it. Yeah, I, Coach Frost engaged, or the university administration, I don't know if it was ne- necessarily at Coach Frost's initiation, but the university administration has been involved in this disciplinary uh, decision, and they've they've made their feelings known, and, and Nebraska has obviously abided by them, and unfortunately, without any further definitive information you know what 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 more do you have to punish him on other than your best guess and if if you are going to punish a guy on accusations that that's a pretty flimsy limb to go out on I mean what once this is adjudicated by the courts this coaching staff will likely have a final decision but until then it's speculation it's not definitive it's not concrete and and until they have something concrete to work with then they're just guessing yeah and at this point you know that that's all the information we have and as we said people are going to get probably call in here and and share their opinion fine if you feel um, so inclined do so i have heard like i said before all kinds of arguments on Mm -hmm. both sides of it nothing will, will likely be new but this is just something we're going to have to deal with moving forward, uh, and this coaching staff's going to have to deal with moving forward in terms of uh, media articles, topics of, on radio shows, whatever uh, kind of comes with the ter- territory. 866-HUSKER-1, the number, 866-487-5371, the number. We'll jump into a practice report. Here what Eric Shenander had to say following the workout today. It's coming up. Welcome back. Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network on a Tuesday evening. Thanks, everybody, for spending part of your night here with us. Huskers worked out earlier today. Time to give you a practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that, and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. Presented by JTEC Construction. Time to replace your home siding, but not sure where to start. Start with JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of the Huskers. JTEC specializes in seamless steel siding and always provides free consultations. Huskers in full pads today on the gas grass and the Hawks Championship Center and defensive coordinator Eric Chenander visited with the media and of course he had to be pretty happy with his team. Yes, they gave up 21 points, but one of those touchdowns came from a short field and the defense was out 
on the field quite a bit, and the defense accounted for a couple of touchdowns of their own. So two turnovers that the defense returned for touchdowns, and in total, five takeaways for the Blackshirts. And Eric Chenander was asked, was he happy with the takeaways his defense was able to force? Yeah, I was happy with that part of it. Guys played hard, got the ball out. Uh, you know, we probably should have scored one more, I thought, if the guys would have done exactly what we're coached to do. Um, a lot of stuff to fix, a lot of stuff to get better at, but I was pleased with the turnovers. Has, you have to be. If you take it away five times as a defense, you've done your job. I mean, all we've heard uh, about Nebraska's mission on defense is to get the ball back to the offense and – at least on that side of the bowl, mission accomplished. If Nebraska's in the plus and turnover margin every week, I will be one happy person. And that's been a big discussion point. I mean, it's been really tough for the Huskers to win the turnover battle over the last few years. So they were able to win it against South Alabama last weekend. But even with five takeaways, we mentioned they gave up 21 points and some things to work on for this Husker defense. Eric Chenander was asked what specifically he thinks needs to be fixed. Just like I think Mo said the other day, we talked about it. You know, there was a lot of motion stuff going on. I didn't think the communication was good enough. Um, I didn't think our eyes were good enough when people were moving around. So just eye control and, and communication were the things that concerned me most. I think that's just a, a, a function of playing your first game and getting out there and having to face somebody else it's it's part of the gamesmanship it's part of being out there for a game as opposed to practice yeah and, and it's it's having the discipline to do it for four quarters too having your eyes in the right spot you know knowing the uh, the motions knowing you know all the different parts to an offense basically you know your film study and and what your your technique and you know, for those guys in the back end, in particular in the linebackers, you know, where your eyes are, that should be in, in your preparation of, of where you should be looking. It's preparation and discipline. So hopefully everything that, that he's addressing there is, is correctable, specifically from, from week one to week two. And you feel like those are things that where, where there is a learning curve and, and it can get better as the season goes along well Colorado's offense was plenty good last week uh, put up 52 points against Colorado State over 200 yards both rushing and passing 475 in total and Eric Chenander was asked what worries him about the Buffaloes one fear is you 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 don't know exactly what they're going to do. You got one game of work. Um, I mean, you can look back at some of the other places the coordinator was at and see what they do, but you got a only a small body of work to work with. Um, and then obviously, I think Lavisca Chenault's probably is or the top wide receiver in the country. I think Steven Montez is a really good quarterback that's got a lot of experience. Um, and they also got a couple other receivers that can, can, can make it work. So I think their personnel is a concern. And then not knowing exactly what to get ready for is a second concern. So an offense that has some weapons, as he mentioned, and uh, the biggest one's LaVisca Chenault. And I, I know Husker fans have nightmares about Chenault. He had that clutch touchdown reception with just over a minute to go to give Colorado the lead. They ultimately rode 33-28 the final last year, and Chenault had a huge game against the Huskers, 10 catches, 177 yards, job one. Nebraska's got to be locked in on LaVisca Chenault if they're going to slow down this Colorado offense. And Eric Chenander was asked what specifically the Blackshirts will do to try and slow down Chenault. 
It's where's Waldo, right? You got to know where that cat's at. Um, and just because you know where he's at doesn't mean you know what's going to go on, but you always have to understand where he's at and how we can you know, work our calls to benefit us when he's in the slot, when he's at X, when he's in the backfield, when he's at tight end. But, but we got to know where he's at. No doubt about it. I mean, he's the most dangerous player on their offense. None of the other weapons scare you, but 6'2", 220 with speed, knows how to play the position and gave Nebraska a bucket load of fits last year, but that defensive backfield's gotten a whole lot better for the Huskers. Yeah, he uses his body tremendously well. Um, you know, knows how to shield defenders. He's got exceptionally strong hands, and he's got great hands. He catches everything. He's always in the right spot. It's one thing to know where he is, and it's another to execute your assignment to – to make life difficult on him you can't just point him out and go okay he's right there our job's done we, we know he's lining up right here no you gotta find ways and create ways and and part of that responsibility is on the coaches to to make his life difficult and and to make every catch that he gets a tough one and you got to think it's going to be a committee a pro, not that coverage is usually one guy versus one guy but you got to think we'll see some DiCaprio Boodle on him we'll see plenty of Lamar Jackson and those guys will always have a little bit of help against him no doubt and he's probably going to get his you can't just shut a guy like that down for four quarters and have him be completely MIA but you know, I, it sounds like they're taking the right steps to make life at, le at least a little difficult. Now the guy getting him the ball is Steven Montez, and last year against the Huskers, he had a big game, 33 for 50, 351 yards, and three touchdowns. Eric Janander was asked about the Colorado quarterback. I don't think he's a flyer, but he runs it efficiently. Um, he's got, got some quarterback runs designed for him, and he can, he can make those work. He can get out of the pocket, but I think the thing that he does best is he runs that offense. I mean, Chenault is an is a unbelievable player, but Montez makes that thing work. He, he controls the offense. He can make all the throws. He made some unbelievable throws last year against us. So, I mean, we've got to keep him in the pocket. We've got to make some, some hard throws on him. We've got to get some pass rush and, and get our hands up. Um, but he's, he's a good player. Veteran quarterback has done it before nearly 8,000 yards of career total offense. He's a guy who's seen basically everything you can throw at him and, and almost always knows how to deal with it. It's not a lot phases him. You know, it blitzes, uh, in-game adversity. When you're around that much, there's just there's nothing you haven't seen before, and that's worrisome. Yeah, there's very little that will shock him. But one thing that was kind of surprising about last year's game, the fact that Nebraska was able to get some pressure on him. Mm -hmm. Huskers with seven sacks in that game against Colorado, uh, the game that was ultimately the Huskers' season opener. Uh, Eric Chenander was asked about the importance of getting some pressure on Steven Montez. Yeah, I think getting pressure on anybody's, um, you know, important especially when there's a good receiver out there, right? You can't, you can't let somebody sit in the pocket and, and, and just have clean throws. So we've got to be able to get home with, with four, with five, with six. We've got to be able to get home no matter how many we send. Um, I, I like our, our defensive line. I think they have a good offensive line, but I like our defensive line right now. Uh, they're doing some good things. So, you know, it's going to be important to get, to get push that pocket. And what made you feel good about what you saw on Saturday, and we mentioned this, is Nebraska was able to get home when they brought pressure. Maybe not every time, but they were at least able to get something when they blitzed. And if you're going to compromise your coverage, 
to get pressure on the quarterback, it had better get there. And a couple of times, a couple of big hits by Husker blitzers. That was the the big thing too. Is you might not be able to rattle him, you know, mentally, but if you can hit him a few times, make that leg feel a little heavier, <laughs> or you know, whatever it is, make him a little more uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, that's what pressure gets you, and that's what Nebraska was able to do last year was get pressure. Now the unfortunate part is he bounced back and made the throws when he needed to make the throws, but you know, getting pressure and trying to get that ball away. It, you know that's going to be a point of emphasis all week. It'll be one of the big games within the game. How does Nebraska affect Steven Montez? Well, beginning of the year, guys have to step into new roles, and Eric Janander was asked about which guys stepping were stepping into those bigger roles. Yeah, well, obviously Cam Taylor and Eric Lee had some pretty big days. Um, so I, I was – listen, I'm, I'm – Super, super proud of Eric Lee. He, when we got here, we're, there were some growing pains um, with a lot of guys. He, all he's done is work, and he's made himself into an unbelievable football player. He's a great teammate and a great guy to be around, and I was happy as heck for him. Um, Cam Taylor, first quote-unquote start, even though he played last year. I mean, he played like a, a vet. Colin Miller played really good, I thought. Let's start with Eric Lee because he was a guy who, who had some work to do physically if he was going to play for this team and in this defense. And even as you looked at how Nebraska recruited this year and brought in quite a few defensive backs, that was a pretty direct challenge on Eric Lee. And he answered that challenge. And, and even though he was a backup in the depth chart, obviously he was ready to go and had the uh, big pick six in the game uh, Saturday against South Alabama. So a, a good testament to him about how he stuck it out and kept working and was in a position to help this team. Yeah, I, I get so happy for those upperclassmen that <clears throat> take advantage of their opportunities uh, obviously with Deontay going down that was not uh the best case scenario of of how he got into the game um so you know it sounds like Deontay didn't sound like he was in pads today I would be shocked if he's out there on Saturday so Eric Lee is going to get a, a, another look at safety and so are some of the other guys that we're going to talk about eventually um but in a day and age where college athletes, if things aren't going their way, they're gone. They're transferring. Um, he stuck with it. He had to do a ton of work to his body, as you said. And he had to go through a position change. And, and, it's, and it is a tough position change going from corner to where, you know, a couple of different things. And that's all you have to know to where you're a quarterback of the defense and you have to make the calls and you have to know what the D-line do, are doing and you have to know what the linebackers are doing and you have to know what the third level is doing that's a difficult transition to make and he made it and he made it count he had some big plays on saturday another guy that had a bunch of big plays cam taylor Britt. he's going by cam taylor Britt now he put the the hyphen and the second last name on the back of his jersey for the game on saturday and cam taylor Britt, very versatile can play any defensive back spot and eric janander was asked what makes him so versatile Here, here's kind of what i believe right now it used to be forever ago the best football player on the team played eye back. Now the best football player on the team plays quarterback, whether they're a quarterback or whether they're something else. I watched that young guy play. Um, I went down a bunch of times to watch him. Uh, the coach threw him in some drills to see if he could backpedal. 
and because of his demeanor and his leadership, you just knew he was going to excel no matter where. You put him at linebacker, he's going to be an animal. You put him at receiver, he's going to be a really good football player. He, he's just the kind of guy that he's a great athlete that's got a great football IQ, probably from being at quarterback, and I think he can play any position on the field you want him at. Eric Chenander was asked further how he evaluated Cam Taylor and how he figured out how Cam Taylor Britt would fit on this Husker roster. Well, when I was evaluating, I was saying he's an athlete on offense or defense. Selfishly, I'm kind of saying, hey, I think this guy's really a good DB, so the offense didn't steal him. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought he could have played receiver. He could have played running. I mean, shoot, he could play quarterback. I mean, he's probably not your drop back sit in the pocket guy, but he could do some things at quarterback if he wanted him to. And you saw the athleticism on Saturday, the explosion off the edge, the physicality that he brings to the table. And and Eric Chenander mentioned his background as a quarterback. He's got the physical tools to play well, and he also has the knowledge of the game to read defenses. He's going to be a big-time weapon for the Huskers in the defensive backfield moving forward. Tremendous athlete, and he and he's what we just call a football player. You know, he and Colin Miller, and there are a handful of other guys that you just label them as a football player. And you know, he's documented with us. You heard last night. You know, we had him on the show, and you know, hear him saying, you know, I didn't really know too much about DB when I got here. I didn't never played it, but I've always been a physical player. I love to hit people, and so it just kind of seemed to work. And I would say it's definitely working out right now. Yeah, it sure worked out on Saturday. That That's for sure. And just the fact that Nebraska has a game under their belt. Of course, last year the Colorado game was the season opener after the Troy game was canceled. And so the Huskers this time take on the Buffs with a game under their belt. And Eric Schneider was asked how much that will help the cause on Saturday. Oh, tremendously. I think, you know. I don't know. I'm the experts. The experts always say the biggest improvements between game one and game two. Um, and I know we'll improve, uh, but this is going to be a big test. I mean, Colorado's a good football team. They pose a lot of problems, so we've got to be super, super sharp. And I think having that first game where you have some success on defense, but you also have a lot of things to fix, kind of lets everybody know, hey, we're, we haven't arrived. We're not there. We need to dial this thing back, or it's going to be a long day on Saturday. So I, I'm glad for the success. I'm also glad of some things that we need to get corrected. It's a whole lot easier to learn when you're also winning. It, it takes some burden and some pressure off of you. And so it's maybe it's not easier to learn, but it's a whole lot more fun to learn when you're winning along with it. Yeah. I mean, lessons learned on a win. You'll, you'll take that all the time. No doubt about it. And finally, Eric Chenander was asked if Scott Frost has this team's attention as they get ready for their second game. Does Scott have their attention? This group, he has their attention all the time. They have his attention, however you want to say it. But he's always got their ear. This group is dialed in. This group, this group saw at the end of the year last year and through winter and summer conditioning that he's got a plan for us, and that plan is going to work. So let's follow that plan. Is there going to be some bumps in the road? Yeah, there's going to be some bumps in the road. But right now, he's laid the plan out, and they want to follow it. Simple enough. It, you know, this is a coach that and a coaching staff because the head coach can say what he wants. The assistants are the boots on the ground, but the staff has this team's confidence and ha has made improvements as we've seen. And that made Saturday a little surprising on the offensive side because you feel like even though the defense has gotten the better of camp, you felt like the offense had done some good things too, which made Saturday a little frustrating. Yeah, no question. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Defense Day for our practice report.
Hey guys, hey coach, where did you get, uh, I know you've talked about, you started out as a football coach way back in the day, but other than Terry Pettit, is that where you got your formula for success, uh, Coach Cook, and then also, how in the world do you get so much out of these student athletes year after year after year? I'm sure there's been the girl here and there that you saw, this is just too much, I can't perform to the standards, but you keep you know, these, the players at this ultra-high level year in and year out, and it's not by accident. How in the world do you do that, Coach? Thanks a lot, and I'll listen off the air. Jason, two great questions, man. I could, I could go on for long answers on that. But uh, basically, uh, I was a high school football coach, wanted to be a teacher, coach football. That was my dream. And anyway, in the 80s, uh, they started – I was out in San Diego, and they had started girls' sports. So they said, hey, you got to coach girls' sports if you want a teaching job. Well, I needed a teaching job, so uh, I actually coached football for three years trying to get a teaching job, and I got a teaching job because I agreed to coach the, the girls' sports. So I coached girls' sports all all three seasons. So anyway, what happened was uh, our volleyball team started doing really well, and I thought I was going to get fired because the girls were crying every day because I only knew how to coach one way, and that was a, as a football coach. So I coached them like football players. Well, they were just learning how to do sports then, so there was a lot of crime, but they loved it. They got better. Uh, we did really well, so I decided at my wife's suggestion, she goes, you, you should start a volleyball club because these girls want to play more, you know, and there was no club in San Diego. So me and another guy started a club, and that thing just blossomed. And, and uh, so what happened was uh, my second year, we had a very good club team, 10 Division One recruits. We were ranked number one in the nation. I, again, I still really didn't know what I was doing. But we had all this talent, put them together. We were great. And uh, we actually scrimmaged against Nebraska. They came out to San Diego on spring break. Your club. Yeah. Scrim- you guys, so Nebraska scrimmaged against you my You do okay or you get kind of club. pounded? No, was, we, we, were, we, we were yeah, very competitive. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met Pettit. And then, of course, he offered me an assistant job. So I, we left San Diego and moved to Nebraska. So he was really my first volleyball coach that I, um, you know, got to work with otherwise I was just kind of on my own and I would just steal from here and there and do that um to answer your question on the how do you keep doing it every year coach you've had some tough years but of late obviously you're in the midst of a, of a fabulous run how do you reinvent yourself and reinvent the program seemingly every year well that's the first thing is I, I look at reinventing you know each season what do I have to do to be my best what does this team need so on so we look at that I surround myself with as many talented people as I can to help me with that so uh, you know we have our we call it our performance team so we have a new, our nutritionist sports psychologist our biomechanical consultant um, to our trainer to our strength coach so we all work together and always just trying to, you know, what, how can we find a point here, a point there? And then, Psychologists. Yeah. So, I mean, just what edge can we get? What can we do different? Uh, how can we make it better? We, we're, we're in a constant growth mindset. So how are we growing to get better? And, I mean, I get <clears> – <throat> I have a couple people. Lindsay is one of them. Brett Haskell, our sports psych. And – uh, and Wendy, my wife, who, I mean, they, I want them to give me feedback and I have a couple other people that help me with that. So, you know, if I need to do something or uh, I'm not getting it done or, or, you know, I'm missing some out somewhere that, you know, I want them to give me the feedback and you, you got to be open to it, you know? And so I have a saying, the longer I coach, the less I know. So that 
what I remind myself is, listen, buddy, you don't have anything figured out. You got to figure it out each day, how you're going to get better and, and do that mindset. And then, um, our strength coach told me a great, he was reading a book. I, I don't know the title of it, but basically the theme of the book was if you can get people to fall in love with something, then they'll really do everything they can to be the best they can in that. So if we can get them to fall in love with Nebraska volleyball, then all the decisions they make, everything they do will go towards having the best volleyball experience they can and being the best Nebraska volleyball player they can. So I think that's probably sums up. I think if you're in coaching and, you know, at Nebraska volleyball, you better love what you're doing and, and approach it that way. You seem to really like your current assistant coaches. Yeah, they're young. They, uh, <laughs> Is that kind of what you needed? I, I, well, I, you know, I like teaching and mentoring, and um, but they have energy, and I think that you know you can't buy energy, and so I love that. But you know, there's still constant mentoring and educating going on, and um, and I got you know our grad managers are great. I think we have the best group we've ever had. Mm. They're they're a lot of fun. I had them over dinner last week. Uh, we just had a great time. We watched the movie Top Gun. None of them. So J- JB. Okay. They hadn't seen Top Gun. I've probably seen Top Gun 30 times. Oh, yeah. You like it. Okay. I'm like, dudes, you guys want to watch Top Gun? What's that? What? And then, and then I'm like, hey, we're going to listen to Pearl Jam. Is that okay? Who's What's Pearl that? Jam? I'm like, okay. What do you teach these either, kids? Either I'm either old or this you guys are missing out like on life. Educational malpractice yeah. going on. What, what are these kids learning? I know. It's <laughs> tragic. Remember, remember in Top Gun when What's-His-Name went down? Yeah. That Goose. wasn't That wasn't good. I missed Goose was good. Yeah, they were all crying in that. Oh, Meg Ryan was crushed. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. good. Great movie, though. It's a great coaching movie because there's so many things in there about, uh, you know, performing at the highest level. There's no points for second place. You know, you never leave your wingman. That's actually mm. one of our sayings in our defensive pattern. You never leave your wingman. Also. So I actually showed him that that clip of the team. You never leave your wingman. Uh, and because every time he left his wingman, something bad would happen. And then at the end, he doesn't leave his wingman. Of course, they win. But uh, that's something that's ingrained in us. And when playing beach volleyball, always keep on your shirt. Yeah. No, no. Take off your <laughs> Take shirt. Off your shirt. Never put on your shirt. Yeah. We rate our liberos the same we do our pass. First of all, serving and passing. So we have a, an efficiency rating system that we go by and uh, efficiency for serving and efficiency for passing. So Kenzie is not as a freshman where Kenzie Maloney was as a senior passing. In fact, I actually mentioned that today that I've only had two players ever pass in our system over what's a 3.0, and that was Justine and Kenzie Maloney, only two players ever to pass that. Our goal is to be about 2.6 in our efficiency rating system passing. So Kenzie's been uh, holding a little bit above that, uh, all she China and and um, in the first weekend and then during preseason we stat them every day and then the digging part there's also an efficiency on that I think Kenzie's ahead of where Kenzie Maloney was as a freshman there's no question about that and then um, the the other area is out of system setting so when the setter digs our libero becomes the setter and Lindsay or, I'm sorry Kenzie is light years ahead of Kenzie Maloney <laughs> Uh, it took her four years to be able to set out a system, and and Kenzie Knuckles is doing a for a freshman doing a really good job. Now we've, you know, of course, we had her, we had China to work on it. So, but it's an underrated skill and underappreciated. 
I'll give you an early favorite in Nebraska Unsung Hero Award 2019, Megan Miller. Yeah, I gave I gave Megan Miller the game She's ball. She's a stud. Friday night, yeah. People don't appreciate her. Yeah. We're, we're on the Megan Miller bandwagon. I'm, yeah. she, I'm a huge fan. She calms you down, great energy. Yeah. She's solid. When was the last time she shanked one? Well, now she's going to shank all weekend because I just said yeah, that. But thank she you. No, she actually shanked against UCLA. <laughs> That's a rarity. But yeah, we couldn't. She served herself the court in practice today. She's awesome. Hour three, off and running. Big thank you to the volleyball crew. Head volleyball coach John Cook, voice of Husker Volleyball, John Baylor. Good week for Husker Volleyball. Yeah, found a way to win two games. And, of course, Creighton uh, took them to the wire last year. And Nebraska had the huge comeback against the Jays up there. And this year, perhaps a little easier time of it. And then they... Cruise past UCLA as well, so good start to the year for John Cook's club. No doubt. Undefeated, move on, and start preparing for the next one. Thanks to John Baylor and John Cook for stopping in and taking care of business from 7 to 8 o'clock. Here in just a second, Top 10 Tuesday coming your way. Top 10 NFL matchups of the season. Really looking forward to seeing how my list compares to the rest. And just excited to have the NFL back. It's been a while since we've had some national football league action and of course the way the chief season ended really excited for those dudes to get back onto the field as well of course uh taking your calls 866 husker 1-866-487-5371 the number to our woodhouse auto family hotline bringing you more choices and brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence this is woodhouse also coming up this hour michael brunts 24 7 sports will stop by the program as well so we got a lot to get to here in the eight o'clock hour let's go and dive into top 10 tuesday we think them up we count them down it's top 10 tuesdays on sports nightly all right unexpected group chat going on between you me and the third member of this charade, Austin Orman, last night. We knew we wanted to go in the direction of NFL. 100th season. That's right. So we had to do something with the NFL. Um, and, of course, we've done, you know, quarterbacks. We've done, like, franchise starters, best Super Bowls, best plays, best catches. We've done a lot with the NFL in the past. So we're just going straight up best matchups of the season and some of these uh, obviously the, if they're in division opponents they're going to play each other twice so there'll be two games uh for that but i don't know that i had any interdivision matchups on my list so we're going to try and uh and see where we're going with this easy hard pretty easy you know it, it, it's kind of a reflection of who are your contenders in the NFL, who do you think is going to come through this year, and, and and who do you think are the best in the NFL, and then how often do they play each other? And you said you didn't think you had any division matchups. I had three, and I was a little worried that I I was light, but I do have three intra-division matchups out of my ten matchups. Austin, 
You know, top 10 matchups is hard for me because they're my numbers 17 through 26. I'm a little surprised that we didn't just cancel the season after Andrew Luck retired. Right. So, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit down my list. The Colts' first 16 would have taken my first 16. But, you know, I actually had, I think, the most interdivision matchups here. I think there are a lot of interesting races, especially in the AFC. I've got a few standalone single games, a couple crossover games. But I think there's going to be a lot of interesting division races this year. So I'm looking forward to those matchups more than anything. I think. All right. Well, uh, Nate, I think you had this idea, so why don't you bat leadoff tonight? All right. So I'm going to hit leadoff with the very first NFL game that counts in the standings, the Packers and the Bears. And and both those matchups have my eye. Week one at Soldier Field, week 15 in Green Bay. Uh, You know, of course, the Bears win the NFC North last year, and the Packers have a terrible year. New head coach. Where are they? Is Aaron Rodgers locked in and ready to play well? And are the Bears just a one-year wonder, or do they actually have something? I think with that defense, they do, mm-hmm. but prove it to me. So Bears-Packers, my number 10. Okay, very good. Nate on the board with Bears-Packers at number 10. My number 10, this is an interesting matchup to me because of where the teams are. You know, you think about – where uh, the Eagles were at the Super Bowl division, the Super Bowl year, and that you know they're priding themselves on defense, and they had that weird quarterback situation, right? Mm-hmm. Is it Wentz? Uh, is it is it Foles? You know, no one really seemed to to kind of understand what it is. But and then I'm going another NFC team. I'm going Falcons, Eagles, Falcons, Week Two, early in the year. Uh, mainly because of, like I said, the Falcons, they had a Super Bowl year. You know, they, they were right there with the Patriots. Eagles beat the Patriots. Mm. Uh, and I'm not, no, I don't know how much is left in the tank for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, uh, but we will see. The Falcons are always an interesting team to me, and, and where are the Eagles at I think is interesting as well. So I got Eagles-Falcons week two. All right, my number 10, I started in the AFC, actually. I go to Brown-Steelers. This is mm. a couple divisional games here, weeks 11 and 13. I think it's the AFC North race. It comes down to it a little bit later in the year. If the Browns are what everyone expects them to be, these two games could be kind of that passing of the torch, the changing of the guard. If Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., all of Cleveland's offensive playmakers can replace the Big Ben and whatever receivers he has uh, from the Steelers. Steelers are always going to be that 9-7 and seven to 11-5 and five range, but mostly I'm interested to see if Odell Beckham Jr. can take the crown of Diva Queen away from Antonio Brown, who's now out of the division. I'm sure he'll be able to put up a heck of a fight, that's for sure. Yeah, he will. <laughs> All right, uh, my number nine, and this one is in the division and great matchup last year, and I expect similar this year. Chiefs and Chargers, week 11. It's the Monday night game from Dignity Health Sports Park and something or other field in suburban California, and it'll be about 5,000 seats empty in a 30,000-seat stadium. And then the regular season finale at Arrowhead, that'll be a different scene. But you figure this is your AFC West championship matchup. Of course, the Chiefs lost to the Chargers last year at Arrowhead, but if the Chiefs are to be slowed down from winning the division title, it'll be these guys. Yeah, and and they're they're in a weird spot, too, because of the Melvin Gordon situation, Derwin James on the shelf for a while, no Tyrell Williams for them. 
Uh, he's over at Oakland now. So, yeah, definitely intrigued to see what the Chargers uh, throw out on the, on the field this year. All right, my number nine, one of the teams has been mentioned. One of them has not. I'm going week 11, Bears at Rams. This is about as conflicting of a style as you get in the NFL with the high-powered offense, uh, the high-powered offense of the Rams going up against that really good defense of the Bears. Jared Goff and company, Todd Gurley against Khalil Mack. Sign me up for that on week 11. You guys mentioned both of my teams, but in different matchups. I've got Chiefs-Bears here at number nine. This comes in week 16, pretty late in the year. I think that's going to be really interesting, too, depending on uh, how much both teams have left to play for. You know, I don't expect the Chiefs to run away with the West. I think it comes down to week 17 against the Chargers. So they'll probably have plenty to play for in week 16 while the Bears have the NFC North matched up. I'm really interested to see, though, you know, which uh, – unit looks better the Chiefs offense against the Bears defense or the Bears offense against the Chiefs defense of course the Chiefs retooling with Steve Spagnuolo there can they slow them down enough to win a shootout or do the Bears muddy things up and make Patrick Mahomes and co win an ugly game all right my number eight um kind of a tough game to figure it's week two Sunday night football Rams at Browns so a little heat check for all the interest in the uh, in the Cleveland Browns against the defending NFC champions and of course the Rams trying to follow up last year's run to the Super Bowl so a lot of storylines going into that game can the Rams keep it up in the NFC you haven't heard quite as much buzz for them this year as you did last year and you've heard plenty of buzz about the Browns and this is a good pl- good early test to see where they are yeah uh all right my number eight you mentioned the browns right there i'm gonna throw another wild card and mainly just for this one player i'm going cardinals versus browns cleveland going uh out west to the desert to face kyler murray and you've got the excitable quarterbacks of kyler murray and and baker mayfield going at it at week 15 so probably not a whole bunch on the line for the cardinals but who knows what the browns and hopefully by then kyler murray you know is playing at the level of a guy who's comfortable in the nfl and isn't benched and we're talking about somebody else in in cliff kingsbury system but you know cliff kingsbury rolling the dice getting rid of josh rosen (laughs) shipping him off to go get kyler murray gutsy move and you know he's he's going to be his ride or die so i've got cardinals and browns at uh, at the the spaceship, whatever that spaceship looking dome, move it down to Norman, play it on sure. field. Why not? Both center quarterbacks would be a lot better setting. Yeah, Cardinals Browns my number eight. Make the stakes. The loser gives up their Heisman. Ah, there you go. I'm about it. All right, my number eight has already been said. Nate led us off with it. This is Packers Bears. If they can find some way to project George Hallis and Vince Lombardi onto the field, that would be cool. Likely not going to happen, but still plenty of intrigue. Aaron Rodgers versus Khalil Mack. How does Rodgers hold up? Does Mack get there? I think that'll be a fun one a couple times a year, especially to start the season off. They just put up a George Hallis statue out front of Soldier Field. They hadn't had any statues up there until... Uh, the Hallis and Walter Payton statues were unveiled earlier this week. Speaking of the Bears, we got week nine matchup, the Bears at Philadelphia. A couple of the strong contenders in the NFC, and, and we mentioned where the Eagles are and, and where they've been recently, and now it's Carson Wentz's team one way or another. We'll see what he can do against that great Bears defense. So week nine, Bears-Eagles. I'll stick with the Bears again. This is the second time I have the Bears 
Uh, I believe this is, yeah, this is the final time I have the Bears on my list. Chiefs at Bears. So I've already had uh, the Rams, the NFC version of the high-powered offense, and now I have the Kansas City AFC high-powered offense going to Soldier Field. So, Austin, you had that at your number nine. I have it as my number seven. All right, I stick with my personal team here at number seven. This way I have the Colts and Texans matchup about halfway through the season, then the end of the season, week seven and 14. I think the division just got interesting when Andrew Luck retired. I think the Colts are deep enough that it'll still be an interesting race between them and the Texans. I like what the Colts have as a more complete team, but I don't think they have anyone to the level of Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and J.J. Watt. Those three alone can win you that AFC South division with Tennessee being Tennessee and Jacksonville being Jacksonville. I think those two Colts-Texans games have a lot on the line for both of them, and I'm interested to see how Jacoby Brissett holds up against J.J. Watt. Buying that Jacoby Brissett stock now. Yeah, what do you think of him? Um, I, I'm not so sure he's top 20, like the Colts brass are saying. I respect the chutzpah. I like his jersey game uh, every Sunday. But I, if he can be, you know, a top 20 quarterback like they think, I think they're fine if he's closer to bottom quarter of the league. I think they're in a little bit of trouble with the wild card race. Gotcha. All right, my number uh, six AFC North battle, Austin had it at 10, and this is where I've got Steelers and Browns, again, passing of the torch, possibly, but we'll see if Cleveland can hold it together. I mean, they're your strongest contender in the in the AFC North uh, behind Pittsburgh, but somebody's got to prove that they can take it from Pittsburgh. It's been an interesting franchise to follow the Steelers the last few years. I mean, you think about having Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell in that offense, well, now it's Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner. You know, they've kind of just got rid of two of the best superstars in the league, and you got to give some credit to Big Ben for holding that thing together uh, considering what they've lost. But, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster and, and James Conner have done well in their own right to, to kind of balance it out. Can we just take a sec to, to recognize that you just said Big Ben was holding that team together? Right. Is there no irony in that? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Is as weird as that sounds. And it's not like they've got the steel curtain on defense either. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh, all right. My number six has not been mentioned. I'm going AFC versus NFC. Two, two teams that I'm really intrigued to see what they run out this year, mainly is the visiting team right here in week number one, the Houston Texans at the New Orleans Saints. Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, you've got all these toys for them to work with, with uh, DeAndre Hopkins, it doesn't sound like Kiki QT is going to play for Houston, but uh, Will Fuller is back. They, they've got they've got plenty of, of weapons, Houston does, and, and of course the Saints with Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas, Drew Brees. It's going to be a fun one right out of the gate. So my number six, Texans at Saints. My number six is another divisional matchup. I've got Ram Seahawks in the NFC West here. Entertaining games the last few years. And also, we've mentioned the divergent styles a couple times. This is divergent styles in the same division. The Rams are going to spread you out. The Seahawks are going to go run, run, pass. That's what lost in the game against Dallas in the playoffs last year. Some might say Seahawks did just add Jadavion Clowney. How does Bobby Wagner look against an offense like that in space? He's probably going to look good, but... Every member of the Legion of Boom is now gone. Does Jared Goff take advantage of that now that he's locked up with an extension through 2024? That just in tonight. I think those are going to be really interesting matchups. I think both those teams end up somewhere in the 10-6 and six range, and those games will be meaningful. All right, we're into the top five, and mine's week eight out at Foxborough. 
This is where I've got Browns, Patriots. Again, the NFL sure thing, the constant against the flavor of the month and, and a heat check to see are they ready to contend with the bigs. We'll find that out week eight. My number five, Austin, you just had one of these teams. I'm going back to week one, back-to-back week ones over my six and my five. I'm going Zach Taylor and the Bengals. I'm excited to see what what uh, the, the young former Husker has up his sleeve, going to take on a traditionally really good defense. Austin talked about the Legion of Boom being gone, but still got uh, Bobby Swagner right there in the middle, maybe the one of the best middle linebackers, maybe the best middle linebacker in the game. And so I'm excited to see Zach Taylor's team in action and you know if he can get this team off and rolling at a tough place to play here in week one. Speaking of linebackers, I've got another stud linebacker here taking his team taking home my number five spot. Luke Keekley and the Panthers against the Saints, another divisional uh, rivalry, as it were, weeks 12 and 17 between those two teams. I think the Saints win the division decently handily, but with a healthier Cam Newton, you have Christian McCaffrey still running wild, Luke Keekley there on defense. Carolina might have a shot to make a little bit of a surprise run, at least scare the Saints later on. I hope there's at least one fun shootout between those two teams. See Cam Newton and Drew Brees go up and down the field. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara break a special run or two. I think those games would be fun. That's why it's my number five. There you go. All right. Uh, My number four, both of you guys mentioned it. Chiefs at Bears. Next to last week of the regular season on Sunday night football. Big stage. Both teams will have plenty of implications. Should be a fun night at Soldier Field. And, you know, a December game at Soldier Field, you could have some snow, too. Yeah. I'm going to pick another NFC North team, this time in Arrowhead. I'm going Packers and Chiefs. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, yes, please. And I plan on being there. Yeah, man. All right, I take two stud quarterbacks here at my number four. It's a proving ground, though, to see if they're for real early and late in the season. I've got Baker Mayfield versus Lamar Jackson, Browns, Ravens here at my number four. Baltimore snagged that wild card spot last year with Lamar Jackson, that offense they designed just for him. Does that work this year? Does John Harbaugh get that to work again? Is Baker Mayfield for real? We'll see early. We'll see late. I think that's an intriguing young matchup, too, and that'll probably be your AFC North race after the Steelers go away, which I think they're less inevitable than the Patriots. So in the next two, three years, I think your Browns-Ravens matchups will mean a lot more, and I think that starts this year. There you go. All right, my number three, I mentioned the Bears with my number four. They're also my number three, their matchup with the Saints. Another another check of where the Bears are in pursuit of trying to win the NFC title against the team that probably should have won it last year. And you, know, you get another offense versus defense matchup, the Saints offense versus Bears defense. Yep. Uh, Nate, my number three is what you had at number five. I got Browns at Patriots. See what you got, Cleveland. Oh, boy. That game was a tough cut from my list. My number three, though, Chiefs Chargers in the AFC West, weeks 11 and 17. Yet you had that at number nine. I think that's going to be a very offensive battle. I hope it gets into the upper 30s, high 40s. And then I think I trust Patrick Mahomes more than I do Phillip Rivers. He has more weapons to spread it around, too. So I take the Chiefs in that divisional race and in those games, weeks 11 and 17. Should be two epic battles in the AFC West. Uh, My number two, week two, rematch of the NFC title game, Saints and Rams. The revenge factor, uh, the Saints, I'm sure, with something to prove, hungry to win that game, two great offenses, should be a fun one that early in the year. 
We have our first duplicate of this entire list right here at number two. I agree with you at my number two. I will be different at number two. This is where I've got Chief Pats. Comes up in week 13. It's the Chiefs' seemingly annual trip to Foxborough, Nebraska's equivalent of playing Ohio State every freaking year till the end of time. Two really good games last year. Sad, though. I don't want to rub those in because pretty much everyone has a crushing loss to the Patriots in their past. Belichick versus Andy Reid is a fun coaching matchup. you got Patrick Mahomes taking the mantle of AFC's best quarterback, from Tom Brady. It's all Kansas City's big name weapons, New England's next man up mentality. I think that's always going to be a fun game, so it's my number two. And it's my number one. I mean, rematch of a terrific AFC title game and, you know, the Patriots are the champs of the AFC until somebody knocks them off. And Chiefs seem to have the best shot, but they've got to do it. My number one as well. And if for some reason the Chiefs are up by I don't know, three touchdowns at half. I don't want them to pull Patrick Mahomes. I want them to try to score 70. Yeah, light them up. Run them off. Go for two. Onside kicks. I want them to embarrass them. That's what I want. Yes. One time I want that to happen. Dare to dream. Yes, right? All right, what did we miss? Any uh, games you're looking forward to seeing with your teams that we do not have on our list, feel free to dial us up. Uh, Did we get Austin's number one? I believe Austin, you got your number one, didn't you? I didn't give it to you, but you guys mentioned it. It's Saints Rams week two, that rematch of the NFC Championship yeah, game. My fault. I didn't let you say it. I, nope. You're good. Over Fair under enough. quarter and a half that Sean Payton throws the first challenge flag on a pass interference call. <laughs> yeah. 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 I didn't think it was gonna be like Niners Ravens no, or something, no. the number one. I was tempted to put Dolphins and Giants in the toilet there bowl. Go. Oh, yeah, God. Giants, Don't do game. that. It could be entertaining and terribly bad football, but fun to watch. Okay. Sure, that's one way of putting it. Let's go with that. Okay, now we're finished. Now we're all done. Uh, call us up if you uh, want to talk about that or have one that we left off. Under the last 30 minutes of the show here tonight, before we say goodnight, happy to welcome in on the program now, Michael Brunts of 24-7 Sports. Brunts, we're in middle football, not the middle, just the start of football season. Have you gotten your, your regiment down? Are you back into your you know middle of the week typical routine of game week i am it's uh you know it's nice to get out of the fall camp routine because it's i feel like fall camp routine is similar to spring routine which is a a lot of talking and and not a ton of football so uh it's nice to to actually to have actual games to uh dissect that being said What's your feeling? I mean, I know you've uh, seen probably a lot of fan comments. I know you talk with a number of your colleagues. You're at the press conference a few days after the fact. What do you What are you feeling about the Huskers' opening performance? Yeah, you know, it's every year you always kind of try to to not look too much into a, a first game, whether it's you know a huge win, a, a loss, an ugly performance, or whatever. But you know it. You, you went into that game thinking that it was going to be the offense kind of carrying the day and the defense, you know, hoping that they could kind of keep up. And, you know, you had the exact opposite happen. So, you know, I, I think you you look at what the defense was able to do with the five turnovers and, and you feel pretty good about that, you know, debut. It, it looked like a different defense offensively. I mean, you know, that, that that's not one that's going to make the highlight film uh, at the end of the season. You know, they, they got the win, but it, it, uh, it was difficult at times and, and certainly not what, you know, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, were expecting uh, for the opener. So, 
you know, going into that, that road game at Colorado, uh, you know, you, you hope you improve a lot on the offensive side of the ball and, and that, that that defensive performance was more of uh, the norm and, and not a, uh, you know, kind of a one-off thing. But uh, definitely, you know, kind of a lot to pick apart. Um, it's just a matter of whether it's, you know, just a one-game thing or if we're uh, looking at something a little bit more long-term with some of those issues. Yeah, when you look at the the scope of the offense on Saturday, I think that's that's the question. And it's only natural, you know. We we've got a we have one game sample size, so I mean, I think to you, what how sh, how how should you approach? I mean, everybody's going to feel how they feel, and and their opinions fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, you're around for fall camp, and there's a lot of talk of the media and, and hype, hyping up the team. What's your interpretation of the correlation between the two? You know, what you saw in week one and what we've been hearing all spring and fall. Yeah, I mean, what, what we had been hearing all spring and fall from the coaching staff and, and not just, you know, media hype was that, that this was an offense that was clicking, was playing faster, um, and, and was going to be taking a step forward from, from what we saw at the end of last season. And, you know, what, what we saw Saturday um, didn't really jive with that. Um, you know, Adrian Martinez never really looked comfortable uh, to me at all during that game. I think part of that were the snap issues that they had. I, I think part of that was, you know, a, a little bit of, of what South Alabama was doing, basically selling out to stop the run. And it, it just, you know, for a, a tempo rhythm offense like Nebraska's running, that if you're not able to, to move the ball, on first down and set yourself up well, that that's what it can look like. I mean, when, when you're facing second and long, third and long, it's going to be kind of rough all day. But, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the, the, the assumption is, is that based on last season and what this offense did with a lot of the same players, that, that they're going to be able to, to get things kind of jump-started a little bit. Coaching staff this week seemed confident that they're going to be able to do that. But, uh, we'll see if they can do that on the road against uh, a Colorado team that, that really kind of took care of business against Colorado State. Talking with Michael Bruns, 24-7 Sports here on Sports Nightly. Are you surprised at all, Michael, the the amount of talk from the Husker players about this game? And I don't know the right word for it. Maybe how stern they are or transparent they are about how they feel. We're not, it's not something we're typically used to. What, what's your reaction when hearing the players talk about this game in particular? Just in terms of the uh, the rivalry or not with Colorado? Yeah, just, just with Colorado and what happened last year and the hit on Adrian. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty open about it. Yeah, you know, I, I thought I thought Adrian kind of did the right thing on Monday. I took the high road uh, on what happened last year with the injury, which kind of happened to you, I think. But, yeah, I mean, it's – you know, I, I think part of it is, is Nebraska's confidence that, that they probably should have won that game last year. Uh, the confidence that they feel like they're better this season, even though they – maybe didn't show it uh, in the opener against South Alabama. I, I think it's, you know, a, a little bit of swagger. I don't know that, that too much of what's been said has been really out of bounds. Um, you know, I, I think that there's enough Nebraska guys on this team uh, that, that they recognize what this rivalry has been in the past. I think there's enough Nebraska guys on this coaching staff uh, and in the, the program that, that very much remember some of those games from the 90s and 80s and, and kind of what that meant. So it, it doesn't really surprise me that, that they're, you know, viewing the game the way that they are. But, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that Nebraska kind of lost the way that they did last year and, and what happened in that fourth quarter with Adrian Martinez, I, I think it's definitely given 
uh, a little bit of motivation uh, going into this one to kind of get uh, get that that game back from last year. One of the first guys that we were putting our eyes on on Saturday to see what he could do in a college game was Wandale Robinson. What would you take away from what the freshman put out there against South Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you saw glimpses of what he can do um, and kind of how Nebraska's going to use him. I mean, they, they ran him out of the backfield, uh, tried to get him the ball quick in, in space. And, and, you know, the the, the one play that got called back, the 31-yard gain, I mean, that, that's kind of what he can do in terms of making people miss and being difficult in space. But that, that's what I mean when you he, when he kind of look at what Nebraska did offensively. Uh, it just never really seemed like they were able to kind of hit those quick uh, kind of tempo throws and, and really, you know, get after South Alabama. So I, I think when they can do that more, you're going to see uh, Wandale be a little bit more of a weapon. But, you know, after the game, he wasn't a guy that, that seemed like he was nervous or, you know, really he, he doesn't carry himself like a freshman uh, off the field. And I, I think you see it too in the way that he plays. That he, he's definitely a mature kid. Defensively, a lot of excitement, a lot of exciting plays coming from that side, particularly from the secondary with uh, with Eric Lee and, and Cam Taylor Britt. What was your feeling heading into that game about the secondary and the potential strides that they could take, or 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 maybe take a step back, losing the three safeties from last year? Yeah, I mean, I I think they had the going in. I thought they had the potential to be better, but I was a little skeptical. Uh, you know, that that was the position group more than most on the team, frankly, that I wanted to see uh, how they would actually come out and play. And, you know, I, I thought that, you know, they played with, with effort and attitude. I, I thought that they were opportunistic. And, you know, they, they've got a little bit more depth there than I thought they had. I mean, when, when you have Deontay Williams go out uh, with that injury after, you know, 15, 16 defensive snaps, and then you turn to a guy like Eric Lee that's still kind of new to the safety spot, and he plays the way he did, I mean, that, that speaks to – a heck of a coaching job by Travis Fisher to get that, that depth ready to go. And, I mean, Eli Sullivan uh, is apparently a guy that's going to be counted on and it's played really well Saturday. And Cam Taylor, uh, Britt, is a guy that when you look at different ways that, that Nebraska can get after teams on third down, he's going to be really important uh, to that because he, he's big enough and physical enough. You could put him at you know an outside linebacker spot. He can play safety, nickel a little corner, um, and, and that versatility is really valuable when you start talking about mixing pressures and, and how you're going to get after teams. So but the secondary impressed me, and, and you know, I, that, that was a group that I was probably the most skeptical about going in. You're going to have a huge test this week with LaVisca Chenault, who is maybe one of the better wide receivers in the country. From last year, obviously a lot of success that he had, including squirting the game winner, when you look at Nebraska's schedule and everybody that 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 they're going to see this year, Chanel's got to be right at the top of the list and one of the better playmakers we'll see, don't you think? I think so, and then just his size and, and the way that they use him makes him so dangerous. Um, you know, I think Eric Chandler said today that it's kind of like where's Waldo, where you have to really know where he is in a formation at all times because they're going to move him around so much. And uh, you know, he's definitely a weapon. I mean, you're facing a a three-year starting quarterback at Steven Montez, who I, I think probably doesn't get the respect uh, that he deserves um, just based on what he's done in the past. And it's going to be real key, I think, for Nebraska to get pressure on him because if you can get him out of, out of rhythm, uh, you can kind of do the same with Chenault. Um, so that, that, that's that's a big key for me is getting after the quarterback and, frankly, just kind of knowing where Chenault is at all times. Yeah, it should be a fun matchup and a fun game on Saturday. Nebraska heading out to Boulder, their first road game 
of 2019. Michael Bruns, 24-7 Sports with us here on Sports Nightly. Bruncey, we appreciate it, man. Have a great week. Thanks, Ben. Take care. Tuesday night edition of Sports Nightly. What do you think of practice? About what you expected to hear today? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Eric Chenander and the that side of the ball feeling their oats a little bit uh, after a great game, and, and you got to think those guys are walking around with a little more confidence and, and feeling good about where they are, but you know, Coach Chenander seemed a little on edge too, uh, uh, which would suggest that maybe the offense put together a good day. We'll get a clearer picture on that when Troy Walters addresses the media tomorrow. And and that's been one of the good things about this fall camp is that there's been an ebb and flow. The defense has had the upper hand at times. I say fall camp, but now into fall practice. Yeah. Uh, there's been an ebb and flow. You felt like the defense has won their share of scuffles, uh, but you feel like the offense has always responded pretty well. And if you were picking one side of the ball to have questions about, I think you'd pick the offense. I think you would say our chances of fixing this and making improvement from the beginning of the year to, you know, from game one to game two or from game one to conference play or whatever, the chances for improvement would be greater on the offensive side of the ball. You just feel like that side of the ball will develop more as the year goes along, whereas defensively, yeah, you can improve a little, but for the most part, you are who you are. Yeah, I – and maybe some of the edge has to has to do with their next opponent too, uh, sure. And, and how big this game is. I think there's a little sense of urgency with the coaches and the players this week about maybe maybe it's a product of how they play on Saturday, but even more so what what they want to have happen next Saturday against Colorado. No doubt about it. I I think as we've said, the players haven't shrunk from the idea that this is that this game carries a little more weight and. That's almost exciting. Yeah. You, you know, as much as you want these guys to be consistent in approach and take them one game at a time and good Lord willing, things will work out at the same time. It's okay to be a little more excited. This is why you come to Nebraska to take on great opponents and, and the Colorado game will test this team. Yeah. All right. That's it for us tonight. Thanks to everybody involved in this one. Thanks to Brett Woody. Thanks to Austin Norman. Thanks for sitting in, man. Appreciate it. Had fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to John Cook. Thanks to John Baylor. Same time, same place tomorrow night on a Wednesday. Have a great night. Talk to you tomorrow.